This is a very fascinating uh, portion of uh, Scripture, possibly, I trust, well known to you in the early part, and I trust that the parable is known uh, as well as we look at these two aspects of these verses uh, together of the parable of the friend at midnight. Jesus uh, often used uh, parables in his ministry. He began teaching, of course, in that large section in the early days of the Sermon of the Mount as he began to put down the principles and the bedrock teaching of his kingdom and of his of the heavenly realm from which he left to come into the world, teaching concerning his father as well, and the bedrock of the glorious good news of the gospel and of his kingdom which has come down from heaven into the world. These glorious truths were at the very heart of his ministry while here on earth. And yet, remarkably, his own people, his disciples, uh, didn't always grasp the greatness and the uniqueness and the power and the principle of what Jesus was teaching about. He was speaking about himself and how great the greatness of himself, of his being, and of course the greatness of the gospel uh, message. Then he went on in quite a large way really to continue to teach in the form of parables. And some were well known to the hearers, others not so well. Painting a picture, painting a story from earthly uh, items, earthly situations regarding his heavenly teaching, the spiritual truth concerning his father and his kingdom. The narrative on time so simple and so well known uh, to the group that he was talking to. It was rooted in the real world. This isn't fantasy. This isn't uh, mystery. This isn't mystic, mysticism. Uh, it was well known to the people that he spoke to. He was relating to their everyday life. And through those parables, he was seeking to uh, provoke a response, not necessarily bringing them knowledge, but they knew uh, about Samaritans and about Jews and about Pharisees. They knew about robbers uh, along the, ro the main roads of their day. And yet each parable drew their attention very quickly, which demanded a new thinking, a new thought that they hadn't considered. It demanded a response. It demanded ultimately the worship of the one and true God. And each parable comes with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you and I on times may struggle with the teaching of parables. Why is that? Well, you could say, well, they're foreign to us. We don't live in the East. The cultural situation and the environment is so different. And the other side of that coin, of course, is oftentimes we just don't like what the parable teaches. We don't like the Lord Jesus Christ putting his finger on a particular aspect, on some point and principle and, and truth, which our natural rebellious hearts just rebel against, and we don't like to run uh, towards embracing the truth of God. They challenge us, and they bring us to a point of decision. The previous parable in chapter 10. We don't have time to look at this well-known one of the good Samaritan. Samaritan. That parable came out of a question uh, from a lawyer. And interestingly, this next parable of the friend at midnight 
comes out of a question from one of Jesus' own disciples. When, in verse 1, his disciple asks him, Lord, teach us uh, to pray, as John also taught his uh, disciples. Jesus had been praying in their midst. He had set them a glorious example that they too might, as the word disciple says, that they might follow him, that they might learn to be like him, to uh, live and to behave and to worship and to pray like he would pray. They'd been listening to him. They knew those quiet times when he would draw aside. Uh, they knew, in a sense, as he would come back into the public sphere, they would see a difference. They were uh, aware of, of, of his power and of his person and, and of his words. They seemed to notice a link between those times of prayer and the power uh, that was evidenced in uh, Jesus, his ministry. It's hard, isn't it, these days to come aside away privately. Our world is so busy. There's so much to do. We've got to be seen to be out there. And there's so many things, so many responsibilities, duties. The world is changing rapidly. And just to pause and to turn aside, and the scripture said, to go into your closet and to shut the door and to spend time with the Lord God Almighty. Oh, our world knows nothing of it. But do we as Christian men and women value that particular teaching and the glorious blessing and the privilege of prayer? Corporate prayer is a great encouragement to hear the one with the other and to join together. But personal prayer, and we have to say it's not something which comes naturally to us. We know that church prayer meeting is the least uh, attended meeting of, of all the church services, as generalization that is, but it's true across the whole spectrum of the Christian community today, still today. It doesn't come naturally to us, uh, and we, we find it difficult. And we don't find it natural to pray. We understand the world has no concern to pray. They, they don't need God. They don't need anyone. They're all right. They've got their resources. They've got their gifts. They've got their ability. They've got the governments these days who, who seem to want to take over and be responsible for every aspect of people's lives. But they never mention help for when someone dies. What happens next? The 130-odd thousand who have died these last 16 months. The 24-hour data comes through. So many more have died. So many more have died, and, and it just rolls off the tongue, and it, it becomes valueless in the end. And yet no one is asking, well, what happens next? What happens to my soul, to those souls, to those individuals, to those that we have loved and known uh, in a very unique and personal and precious way? And they're taken. Where did they stand before a holy God, made in the image of God? And God has called them on to that day of judgment. And the world isn't interested. Our government doesn't say, there's a Christian church down the road if you need spiritual help. There's a pastor, there's elders, there are people who are expressing love towards you in the name of Jesus Christ. And they will pray for you, they will seek to help you. And they will give you answers to the big questions of life. They will bring a biblical worldview from the very heart of God will seek to demonstrate faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so prayer is not something which comes naturally to us. Even David and the psalmist, he had to say that in Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, if there are any who seek God. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one, no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. The scriptures remind us from the very beginning of Adam's disobedience in the garden and how sin entered the world and it became part and parcel of our human existence and how the power of it has come down to our very day and will continue to the end of the age, born with this natural desire for rebelliousness and for disobedience, for self-interest, interest, me, myself, and I. <laughs> That's the default position. And the Apostle Paul, however great a religious man he was, he too confessed, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. This is my old sinful nation. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot, I cannot, he says, carry it out. A religious man at the height of his profession. So the scriptures remind us and teach us we do not seek after God naturally for seeking after God is something which is good and which is holy and our sinful flesh is incapable of these good and holy things in the presence of a thrice holy God until the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts until he stirred mine until he stirs each one of us for a desire to draw near to God, to seek after God, and to call upon him in simple faith, but in desperation of your soul's need as a sinner before a holy God. It's by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift. It is a gift of God. Praise God, God's people are able to be taught, and they are able to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. I remember Mary and Martha, it was, it was more natural for Martha to, to be busy, to be doing, rather than to come in aside and sitting at the feet of Jesus and drawing from him and listening to him. And these disciples, they they, they're expressing a willingness to be taught. Lord, teach us uh, to pray. And it's essential, isn't it, that when we come to God, that our, our spirit uh, is open, it's a willingness, and our heart is open uh, to what God wants to say, to what God wants to do in the life of his people, in the life of his church. As soon as we close the door, as soon as we put the shutters up, we're throwing it all back into the face of God, his great grace, glory and love and so jesus gives them this what we describe as a pattern prayer uh, to follow so that they would know how they are to approach god their heavenly father and to bring reverence and to bring uh, respect and that awe in their approach what are the priorities from from god's perspective and then leading them on to those those needs, not the wants, but the needs. And this pattern should, uh, should help us to shape our lives, to shape our thinking, to shape our worship, to th shape our praying. The very first thing we learn is our Father in heaven. Who is the one? 
to whom we seek. Who is this great and glorious thrice holy God who we call upon? And so the pattern uh, develops and we're not going to uh, stay there too long uh, this evening. And of course, one aspect of it, it reminds us that it's no use asking God to forgive us our sins if we hold and harbour a grudge or a sin and we haven't forgiven someone else who has asked us for forgiveness. So, uh, Jesus teaches we can't separate our prayers, our devotional life from how we not only relate to God, but how we relate uh, to one another as well. Well, this parable begins properly there at verse 5. It is uh, his friend uh, at midnight, about the good neighbour. Jesus has spoken about a good Samaritan. Well, here's a good neighbour in this picture. This man has an unexpected visit from a friend who is uh, on a journey, and the friend arrives very late at night. It It is midnight, and he's got no bread in the cupboard. He's unprepared. And yet the Eastern hospitality is demanding that he provides a welcome and provision for his friend. And so he quickly, he goes next door. Why wouldn't you? It's only midnight. He goes to his neighbor's house with a friend. He asks for bread. Ah, It's all quiet. (laughs) They're all asleep. The door is shut. And verse 7 gives us uh, the answer to his request for bread. He says, don't trouble me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I, I cannot rise and give to you. He said, I can't help you. Can't you see the door is shut? Get, take the hint. It's midnight. And he goes on to kind of layer up the reasons. Don't trouble me. The door is shut. I spent all night getting these children to bed. They've gone to sleep. I can't rise. I'm tired myself. This context is prayer. And uh, it follows on from this pattern prayer. Uh, Why is that? Well, in seeking to use the pattern prayer, we often find occasions in life when uh, prayer doesn't seem to be answered or there appears to be difficulties in the way of an answer or we have doubts as this neighbour goes to his friend and his request doesn't appear to be answered. Well, in the depth of midnight you wake them all up, won't you? And so he's making a racket, but it's appeared there's these difficulties uh, in the way and uh, he is beginning to doubt. He is experiencing this sense of shame coming over him because his his friend from afar has arrived and he's in his own house and, and he's got nothing to put on the table for him to provide Eastern hospitality. And you can just imagine the shame beginning to dawn and to weigh heavily upon his heart. It doesn't appear that he's going to have his request answered. Well, these disciples may have been thinking to themselves, I can learn three or four verses of Scripture of this, which contain this pattern prayer, and after I've uh, remembered them, I can recite them uh, in an act of worship, and hey presto, my prayers will be answered. <laughs> 
is that what Jesus is teaching them? <laughs> well, clearly not, because this parable follows on very quickly behind, and it's, it's a, sense of a, a sense of a warning, but certainly a teaching that Jesus is saying to them, the pattern prayer is not as straightforward as you may initially think. The men and women in the street today, even in the government, can begin to say this prayer in, in a church service on some special occasion, for example. And yet that's where it ends. It, it's cerebral, it's in the head, it's in the mind. And the heart isn't engaging as Christ longs uh, that we should engage with him for. God isn't like this neighbour. This man, his neighbour comes across very selfishly, doesn't he? <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> I'm only next door. And my kids are in bed. I've locked up for the night. I've, I've had two hours sleep or an hour sleep. I can't help you. See, if it were just a matter of A, B, C, D and E would follow... If it were just a matter of praying, the pattern prayer, and then to receive from God, well, then we'd soon quickly learn that, wouldn't we? We'd soon quickly be praying a lot more, but in a very uh, repetitious sense, in a very cold and bland sense. And Jesus is drawing our attention to growth in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There would then no, be no scope in our lives for Christ to further engage with us and to teach us more about the greatness of the one who provides for all our needs. There would be no scope in our lives experience for the glory of God to be manifested in the life of his people through answers to prayer. Or even be to glorify God through waiting on an answer for prayer or even a, a Christian believer uh, perceiving difficulties to the prayers that they are praying, and yet they're still glorifying and praising God while they wait, while they're immersed uh, and hedged in all around with difficulties, and yet there is a faithfulness, and yet there is a sweetness in their character and in their spirit, and they're still praying as the days and the weeks and the months and possibly the years go by. And they're still bowing the knee in humility before their great God, whom they say they serve and whom they say they worship and love. And despite there's no answer, they remain faithful and they remain uh, true. Remember Daniel there in the Old Testament? He was a young man and he amazingly submitted himself to the sovereignty of God in relation to the, the, the national and international scene in which he lived, in that historical uh, tapestry. And yet he submitted himself to the sovereignty of God in his personal life uh, as well. All that was, uh, was bothering him. He had prayers. Uh, he was engaging. He lived in, in exile. He was surrounded by pagan influences. And yet he would still bow the knee. Despite what was going on around him, he still honoured his God and God blessed him greatly. He was used by God and yet he had unanswered an prayers. 
Daniel chapter 10, 10, verse 12 and 13, the angel said to him, Fear not, Daniel, for from the very first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. From the very first day, Daniel's prayer had been heard. And yet the answer hadn't come the same day. He had to wait. And the angel brings the glorious news. Yes, it was held up, but God heard his prayer. And the answer came 21 days later. But in the meantime, in his exile, amongst the pagan situation, he bows the knee, humbles himself, and he honors God. This neighbor, this friend, he said, oh, my door is shut. You're knocking on the outside. The door is shut. Well, for a typical uh, Jewish household in those days, their houses consisted of being inside a courtyard and there was an external door in the wall, so to speak, and, and another area for the animals. And then the door from the street led into the courtyard and not into the house. And it, it was firmly barred because of intruders. And so he's banging on, on the external door. Sometimes our prayers are like that, aren't they? So far away. And we seem to be banging, and, and we're the only ones who are hearing the, the sound of our prayers. It appears like that. And it appears that there are difficulties in the way of getting an answer that we would like to have. And this neighbor, he perceived those difficulties. They would come to your mind straight away when they're at midnight. Everything is closed down for the night, and you hear your friend in the house over the courtyard wall. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. And Daniel, oh, he perceived difficulties. He had the word of the Lord burning in his heart. And he lived amongst the people who had rebelled against God and were disobedient and, and transgressed the law. They had turned aside. They refused and refused uh, to obey the law of Moses. And they had sinned, and he knew it. <laughs> and, and his prayers must have been as hard as that. Lord, I know what the people are like. It's difficult. It's hard. They're rebellious. They're wayward. They're a sinful bunch. And yet, what does Daniel do? He perseveres. Perseveres in prayer just the same. And what was his prayer sounding like then? Well, hear these words. He says, Therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Difficult? My word. And yet here is this man, man in prayer. The third reason that this neighbor gives is the children are in bed. Oh, boy, what, oh it's peace, isn't it? <laughs> And the children are in bed, little ones. Those precious moments, those precious hours, and this man has got his head down at last. And the kids are in bed. And the word comes over the wall to his friend. He says, don't disturb me. The children are in bed. 
dead. And this man on the other side of the courtyard wall must have been thinking, oh, I got some difficulties here, haven't I? I can't disturb his children. And you can just imagine the shame coming over him. And yet the scripture tells us, Jesus in this parable tells us, yet because he persists, in verse 8, because of his persistence, his neighbor will rise and give him as many loaves as he needs. He perseveres with his friend, and his friend does eventually respond to the request. He does disturb his household. He does light the lamp. He does cross the, the courtyard. He does open the door, and the arms are outstretched with a loaf of bread because of his persistence. The sense of urgency overwhelmed his neighbor. See, he's not ashamed to pester his neighbor, but he will be ashamed if he has to go back to his own house and he's got nothing to put on the table. And for you and I, when we are convinced about a certain prayer that weighs heavily upon our heart over a period of time, convinced of it, we're encouraged to, I say it reverently, to pester God to come and to come again and to bang on the door so to speak of the courts of heaven and God encourages us to do that in the book of Isaiah 62 and verse 6 uh, Isaiah says you who put the Lord in remembrance take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise on the earth our Lord is not saying that God is, is like this selfish neighbor, that God is unwilling to answer prayer. And he's not saying that only persistent prayers are answered. Under normal circumstances, the bread would have been provided by this neighbor. But they weren't normal circumstances. It was midnight. Everything was shut down for the night. The difficulties were there. And so our Lord expects us to, to ex ex demonstrate genuine need when we bring our prayers to him. And he goes on and he says, I say to you, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it'll be open to you. Ask, we shall receive. Seek, it is there. The answer is there. And knock and your need is genuine and it, it will be opened unto you. See, our our perseverance our, our persistence it demonstrates the reality of our need it's not we're not talking about wants now i want i want i want we talk about needs that which i need that which burdens me concerning the will and purposes of god and god is the one who has the answer and so i seek him with an intensity and with a purpose of heart knowing that he has heard my prayer and I wait, and I wait for the answer. Why, this, it says in the, in the prayer, thy will be done. Ah, oh, we pray it so glib. Are we willing for his will to be done? Are we willing for him to turn and change our circumstances upside down and inside out because his will is opposite to what we assumed? But are we willing to pray such prayers? And God is willing to 
uh, to use each and every one of us. In verse 11 to verse 13, the latter part, after the, the parable part, so to speak, has finished, Jesus then applies the parable again uh, to his hearers. But he changes the relationship. He's no longer talking about friends and neighbours. He's talking about a father and a son relationship. And it is a glorious relationship indeed. We bless God, don't we, for, for father and son's relationships. Now, I understand in the world in which we've lived for some years, that's not always been true for countless numbers of people, and it's a shame upon manhood that it is so. But if you've had a good father and son relationship, or a good parental relationship, then give thanks to God for his mercy and for his blessing. But here's this relationship. This is what Jesus draws our attention to. He's saying, not only if a son asks for bread from any father, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Well, a good father will not do that. Of course he won't. Well, then if you be in evil, if you be in sinners, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your heavenly father give? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I love those words. How much more? See how law doesn't just dole it out and eke out this supply because there's so many demands on him that his supply is running out? <laughs> Not at all. He is the almighty God. He is the creator and sustainer and provider of everything. He needs no one else. And it is his delight from the depth of his being and the love of his heart to pour from the windows of heaven showers of blessing and to wonderfully do more uh, abundantly for his people than we can ever ask or ever think of. Though sometimes it doesn't feel and seem like that. But this is what Jesus is teaching these disciples, the, God isn't a selfish God. He gives. I don't need to tell you folks, he gave his son. His one and only son. His perfect, pure and holy, thrice holy son. He gave him freely and willingly when he didn't have to leave him. But there's more. Gave the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost, after he had given his son. After. He gave us the most gracious, precious gift that he could to be the saviour of the world, to be your saviour, to be my saviour. And then there's more. <laughs> I take some thinking in. How much more will the Heavenly Father? And so here we see the, the heart of God. What, what is his, his closing comments all about? Well, the fan, it's about relationship, isn't it? It's about the, the uniqueness of that relationship. It's about the love aspect. It's about the generosity of our Heavenly Father in giving and giving to those who do not deserve it. He gives grace upon grace. He gives us things which we do not deserve while he withholds from us things which we do. Praise his holy name. That's why we say thy will be done. We submit 
to his sovereignty and his, to his, his power. The New Testament church, of course, they exemplified this realm of prayer, didn't they? They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication from the word go there in, in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. The apostle Paul wrote to them and, and he said, you, you practice persistent prayer, you persevere uh, with, and, and supplicate for all the saints. It's part and parcel of the Christian life and experience, not just for the emergencies, not just for the things which are too big for you to cope with, but every day, every moment is to come and nothing should break or interrupt our prayer life with God. It's a gift. What a privilege. What a privilege. Someone has said this lovely quote, prayer is not a mysterious burden, but an interrelational adventure with God. <laughs> Thy will be done. My word, an adventure with God. You're going to put your hand up for that tonight? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So yes, uh, Scripture provides guidance for us, doesn't it? It provides the pattern prayer. It, it shows us how we are to approach our, our right attitude, our, our actions, how we are to become effective in praying before this holy God. Uh, and it identifies uh, motives which are more likely to have prayers answered. It also outlines hindrances to prayer. Do I need to say, well, sin is a hindrance? Of course it is. It doesn't need to be said, but it does need to be said because we can harbour sins and repent it and confess sins. And the scripture says our iniquities have separated us from our God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. The lack of repentance from sin is this hindrance to prayer, disobedience, rebelliousness, selfishness, injustice in the heart and in the soul, a lack of faith, a lack of faith in God's word and taking it as it's written and as the Spirit revealed it to us, a neglect of these things is a hindrance to prayer. But oh, let's turn the coin over. <laughs> yes, those things are important. Uh, what about the qualities that lead to effective prayer? Well, humility, humility, obedience, things we know, righteous, a right relationship with God in heaven, nothing between, nothing. My Father, I'm your Son. Right relation, a love flowing from one to the other a single-minded devotion unto God, a single-mindedness in this uh, godless world in which we live when the broad road still leads to destruction and yet you as a Christian man or woman like the Daniel of old, regardless of age, you say, I will follow him. Thy will be done. Leads to effective prayer. Oh, the Apostle James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. 
Jesus is effectively saying prayer is about relationship, not results. And that puts a new aspect on it. That puts a different perspective on it. Oh, Lord, I have this need. I, I need this to be changed. And it's a sense of, uh, I need this result. <laughs> I need it sorted. I need it now. And Jesus is not. It's a relationship. I'm more interested in what my grace is doing. Is my grace changing me? Jesus, you are changing me. Day by day, moment by moment. And as I change, I find some of my prayers fall by the wayside because they've not been righteous prayers. They've been selfish prayers, single, uh, self-centered prayers. They fall by the wayside as I grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ. He's more concerned about the relationship that you have with him first and foremost. He wants to engage with you like he engaged with the prophets of old and the, the apostles in the New Testament and the Mary and the Marthas and the Peters, those who stumble and fall, who didn't get it right first time. He's still engaged and he comes to them again with his grace and mercy and he engage, because he wants them to move from where they are to be more like his son so that they will pray possibly different prayers but prayers which are in the purpose and heart of Almighty God. He will never ever be our wish list fulfiller. He will never give us what we want. But whatever he's promised, ah, that's what he's going to act on. And that's what we're going to see develop. And that's what we're going to see before our very eyes change our world, our personal world, our church world, the world of our society. And yes, he understands all your frustration. He understands your, he, your hurts and, uh, and your emotions. Yes, he understands uh, an unsettled mind. He understands all those things. And it doesn't mean to say we have to push them down and keep them down. We can bear our souls like the Old Testament uh, believers did of the David. Read the Psalms and of Job, how he expressed his deep anguish in, in what he went through in the, in the midst of incredible grief and suffering. And he pours out his heart to God. God doesn't ask you to cover it up and say it doesn't really exist. <laughs> no, no. That's part of relationship, isn't it? It's being true and it's being real and nothing between because God can deal with that. God can bring his grace and bring his healing. And then as you grow, as you grow, oh, you experience the healing and you're able to engage, engage with him. The blessed gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, those who uh, have received the Holy Spirit, the gift of Christ, and the gift into the church, those who still struggle with prayers, the burdens and heartaches, those who have received, find the gracious sovereign ministry of the Spirit ministering into their lives while they wait for these answers while they accept the wisdom of God. It's not today, it's not now, it's not next week. But God has heard. 
And it's the Spirit of God who strengthens us in our pilgrim journey, and the Spirit of God who reveals Christ with us, who walks with us and talks with us along those days and those weeks and those months, until it is the Spirit of God who guides us and brings us into all truth and shows us the path, clears the debris, so we get the 2020 vision and say, that's where I'm going. The world can go elsewhere. That's where I'm going. My Saviour goes there. This is the way walking in it. And the strength of the Spirit of God birthed within our hearts is the foundation upon which all else in our Christian experience will bring glory to our God. The gracious ministry, the precious ministry of the blessed Holy Spirit. We started at verse 1, the disciple, the nameless disciple said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. My word. He didn't expect that. He couldn't have expected that. He just wanted an A, B, C, D, and let's get on with it, because his prayer list must have been, must have been huge. Well, the subject starts out as a difficult one, but it ends up with remarkable, remarkable privilege of a child of God to experience the how much more of their heavenly father it ends with the relationship of a father and of a son the blessedness of love the one towards the other and particularly from the one the almighty God who is the great investor the great giver into the lives of his people and the great lover the lover of your soul. That's what it is. And so when we get down to prayer, let's ever remember his love, his love for his people, for his people, those who do not deserve anything and yet experience the how much more. Jesus, the true friend at midnight. <laughs>